Ever wonder what separates the haves from the have-nots? The talkers from the walkers? The leaders from the followers? Come along with host Nikki Moore as she sets out on an adventure, tapping into the experiences and real-life stories of 100 CEOs. Find out how they think, what they eat, when they sleep, everything that goes into the magic of making a CEO. That's right. Nikki's cracking the CEO code. In this series, we'll discover exactly what it takes to go from good to great. I'm here cracking the CEO code with none other than Dr. Lavelle Long. Welcome. I should put a pause between that. Welcome, Dr. Long. You know, I started calling you that, like, and that's all I say now. I only say Dr. Lavelle Long. I don't say Lavelle Long anymore. Yeah. Well, I say Doc. I love it. Welcome to the show, Dr. Long. Thank you, thank you, thank you. (laughs) Welcome to the show. A storyteller, a prolific playwright, a producer, a dad, a husband, a boyfriend, (laughs) all the things. You have to be one of the most creatively talented individuals that I've encountered in, in a long time. And I'm very pleased that you have agreed to join me and have this conversation. Yeah. I, I wouldn't have did it with nobody else. I feel comfortable with you. <laughs> what the hell is going on? You got about 4,000 projects in the works. CEO, DC Black Broadway. Tell me, what, what else? Well, right now, this is not DC Black Broadway. Now it's Atlanta Black Broadway. Okay. Now we got D- North Carolina Black Broadway. Uh, so we franchise yes. and hopefully next year we'll have like Memphis Black Broadway and a Houston Black Broadway. You are such a visionary. Yeah. I knew from the first time I met you that your creative juices went far beyond your your person. Mm-hmm. You know, like you have a vision and I, and most prominently for me is the play, The Giz. Right. You did The Giz. When everybody else was like, oh, I don't know about that. Right. The Giz being a go-go adaptation of The Wizard of Oz and The Wiz combined and just turned it into a whole thing. And The Giz became a movement. Yeah. Everybody wanted to be a part of it. Yeah. People was crying. A lady offered me like $700 to get a ticket. Yeah. It was, it was amazing. It was beyond. Yeah, it was beyond amazing. It was beyond anything you could imagine for it, yes. right? Yes, yes. And- and the most beautiful thing about it is what I tell people is that with the the gears is separated by itself because at the point where we didn't have no Toto, we use uh, Tony Rez uh, as, as Paz Toto as being the guy that walks everybody through uh, 
Oz. What was his character? His name, his character was uh, Washington Bullet, WB. WB. So, and then the point, what was really big, though, and I'm a, how I create, I tell people, like, if I had to write a book, I could create every day. Mm-hmm. So I don't like to go by, like, what everybody else is doing. Like, I like, when, when I see someone and they influence me as yourself, it makes me change my, like, my script would change up four or five different times. Speaking of which, okay, before I even go into what I'm about to say, first ever stage play at any MGM hotel or theater in ever in the country. I was the first Atlantic one. Atlantic City, Vegas. No one have ever did a stage play at MGM National Harbor. Before I did. 3,000 seats. Not even Tyler Perry. You had never done a major production. Nope. First time. And it was sold out. Completely sold out. Completely sold out. Weeks before. Weeks. Yeah. Weeks. Like, people were trying to manufacture tickets. It was all kinds of stuff. It was crazy. It was crazy. It was beyond crazy. It definitely was uh, probably the second biggest thing in Go-Go history. Yeah, I think so. So so it was was amazing. Is the gays coming back? Yes. Me and you working on that right now, right? Thank the Lord. Me and you working on that right now, right? I mean, but I I just want the people to know. So... So what was spectacular about the gigs, I met this young guy named Cartier Williams as a scarecrow. And this, this was the toughest part about the gigs. I had already had somebody playing the scarecrow. Like the guy's been studying the scarecrow for like months. And I went to the Kennedy Center for the first time. And I, you know, I, I went because I, I'd never been to the Kennedy Center. Mm-hmm. And I saw this tap dance. Amazing. And it drew me crazy. And I said, that's my scarecrow. He was amazing. Yes. And then once I walked up onto him, I said, man, you want to do the da-da-da? I told him, go-go version. He was from D.C. I was shocked that he was even from D.C. Yeah, because he was so polished and poor. Yeah, he was very professional. He said, yeah, I want to do it. And I had to go back and tell the other guy. Then I had told my team. Everybody didn't want to tell him. I said, man, I got to tell him because this is history. Okay. So Cartier Williams was, he was a bit of a force. And he was... Super professional, super duper talented. Oh my God. And he could sing also, couldn't he? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. yeah. So the the thing that was most astounding to me was when I got the call and you said, Nicky Moore, I got something for you, like you always do. And I said, Okay, what is it? So so upon meeting you, and it's it's only a couple of people in my life I've met in my life that can be crazy like and I when I say craziness, I was referring to Tracy Braxton is they could be crazy around their significant other yeah their kids same person their mama they could be the same person you don't really meet these type of folks I'm one of those folks that I don't change who I am yes. it goes with everybody so then I meet you and you are just hilarious and you you and I'm trying to say stuff to throw you off, but the more, because usually when I say something, it's shocking. It throws people off. They don't know how to come at me. Mm-hmm. And you were just basically like, you got all that mouth with your short self. And you just kept on coming back and it, it, it building that bond. Mm-hmm. And you know uh, how you fall in love at the first sight. Yes. So when I met you, I came home and my, my mind kept on saying, Nikki Moore, Nikki Moore, Nikki Moore. And that, this is the truth. I had someone that was supposed to play the Scarecrow, and I, I mean uh, the Tin Man. Mm-hmm. His name was Anwan Glover, Big G. Big G. Right? But I was, it was eating me up like, nah. I was like, nah, she could play the Tin Woman. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's why I said, the Tin Woman. So I called Nikki up, and I got it now, I got to tell Big G 
like we don't need him, mm-hmm. right? And he was busy anyway, so I called I called Nikki up. I said, hey, what are you doing? She's like, I ain't doing that. I said, I got an idea. She was like, tell me the idea. I said, what do you think about being a 10, 10 woman? Dope! That's what I said, the 10 woman. And then this is when I knew it was going to happen. She stopped and said, nah, nigga. I said, what? She said, the 10 ma. 10 ma. I said, boom, we got it. it. I said, everything replaced. Everything replaced. We we would do the first, we we did the first woman in either the the, the Wiz and the Wizard of Oz. It's always been a 10 man. Mm -hmm. And I knew that would set me away from everybody else. Like, now we have a woman. And this before all the women was, y'all got it to that, we women big up. I already seen it. When she said to Tim Ma, it was over. Yeah. It was over. You did. You did. You actually talked about women's movements and, and yeah. elevating women long before yeah. the movement became a movement. Yeah. So that said, you are, as I mentioned earlier, a visionary and your creative juices go beyond. You You sort of flank. You come in off the side when everybody else has come from the top mm-hmm. and around. You come in off the side and come with something that has not ever been seen before. And that, in, in my opinion, is the epitome of a great leader. Mm-hmm. So so I watched that particular production go from this to this. Mm-hmm. And you had to lead all of that. Not one time did I ever see you lose your cool, ever. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that was prolific. I thought, because, you know, I, me, me and uh, Vernon would fly off just looking at each other. <laughs> like, you know? <laughs> but I, I was astounded by, astonished by how good you managed to control every aspect of that production, even though it grew. It grew so fast and so mm-hmm. big, and it turned into something that I'm not even sure you were prepared for because no. it just was it was moving, but it was exciting. Right. It was exciting. So where do you pull the strength as a leader to, to direct so many different facets as one? I, well, I, I would like to say it comes from my mother from the beginning because— when I was born, I had a I had a brother and a sister, and my mom was always like I didn't we didn't, we didn't have a father, so my mom's was always like I had to be the leader, so she always put things on me to manage. Mm-hmm. So when she wasn't in her right state of mind, you know, she was doing drugs and stuff like that. I had to I had to manage the group. Listen. So that came from managing the group my brother and sister to manage in my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So it was kids in my neighborhood that, you know, we our parents wasn't there. So I had to make sure at an early age to make sure, like, everybody ate in my building. Mm-hmm. So I learned those wow. skills from there. And from there, you know, going into the drug game, you had to manage, you had to manage all type of individual. You had to manage killers. You had to manage scary people. Mm-hmm. You had to manage grandmas and grandpas outside, so you make sure what you do don't affect them. So, and then once I went to prison, I had to manage my way through there. I wasn't the toughest guy in prison by far, right? But I learned how to manage and keep them calm down. And I was doing the job that the warden should have done. But I've learned how to, you know, make a bad situation to a good one. So from the streets to the stage, the idea... The idea for this production came about. It's a very interesting story, and I'd like for you to share that. 
Okay. Uh, sitting in the bed one day doing my time. Well, top bunk or bottom bunk? I was on the bottom bunk. <laughs> you had to be on the bottom bunk. You got respect on the bottom bunk. You was on the top bunk. You wasn't no respect. Sally, okay. you was the woman on the top nah, bunk. Nah, I was on the bottom bunk. <laughs> nah, it okay, ain't. I'm sorry. Yeah, but it's a thing in prison. It's a serious thing. You can get killed over the bottom bunk. Right? I know. Yeah, it's like, because they take the bottom bunk seriously. And actually, be honest, when I first got in prison, uh, I had a knife drawn on me mm-hmm. and everything because I had the bottom bunk. But when the dude came in the room, I had took his stuff and put it on the top bunk. And didn't know he was a blood. And he came back and he was dead serious. He got the he got the bottom bunk. I gave it to him. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why they had to go through all that. This ain't it. no hero story. Yeah, ain't no last story. So <laughs> he got the top bunk. From there, I just started growing respect in the prison. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And uh, and I and I didn't get respect by you know being the toughest guy, what I got respect by is, is getting love. Mm-hmm. I started showing all the young men love and doing things that they really need you to do that they was missing from the streets. And from there, you know, everywhere I went, they was like, man, you get the bottom bunk. That's an important factor because uh, in one of my other conversations, one of the leaders talked about centering everything in love. Yeah. Like, everything that you do, if you go as love being the core, everything that stems from that can not help but be great. That's all I go on. I've never went on fear. Of course, we had to do our thing, but uh, I never went on fear. It was always love. And, you know, I adapted the Navy Federal Code. I I used to be when guys didn't have the money, we just didn't deal with you no more. Hmm. But other than that, hmm. you know, uh, everything was love. Like, you couldn't be around me if you... You didn't have feelings and you couldn't hug and you couldn't say I love you at the end of the night. Like, if I told a guy, say, hey, I love you, and he don't repeat that, we ain't going to have a conversation again. That's something. So you're laying in the bunk, in the bottom bunk. Right, I'm laying in the bottom bunk. And you had a celly. I had a celly. And yeah. you start talking about this idea. I had a celly. I had an idea. His name was Salahuddin Makhid. Mm-hmm. Where how it started was he was writing books inside the prison. He had a big name inside of prison for writing the books. And he asked me one day, he said, man, you don't never read none of my books. And I felt kind of bad, so I said, well, let me read the book. Mm-hmm. The guy that's like two pages, and I was like, I can't read the book. And he was like, why? Well, I said, we live this. Mm-hmm. Why we want to keep on triggering each other of the stuff we live? I don't even want to get into this book. Mm-hmm. I said, why we can't do something for family? Someday we can bring our kids, our grandmother, and our mother, too. Right, this is not, we come out, we do a movie this, our kids can't even come see this. Wow. And uh, we sat there, and he was like, well, what can we do? And I was like, I don't know, but I don't want to read this book. That night, God woke me up, and he said, you should do a stage play. Mm. And I went back to God, and I said, hold on, man. And no, not y'all excuse me, but I was like, I'm going to tell you what I said. I said, that's a gay sport. Mm. I ain't doing that. He said, nah. You're going to do a stage play. Mm. I was like, nah, street guys don't do that. I said, I'm not doing that. Then he was like, okay, you're going to do that. I got up there next morning at 12 o'clock, and the TV came on. I'm sitting there still thinking about what God was saying, and then the Wizard of Oz came on. Mm. And I said, wow. I said, Saturday, you know what we're going to do? He's like, what? I said, we're going to do the go-go version of the Wiz. And he said, what? I said, yeah. And we're going to call it, we're going to knock that W off, we're going to put a G on it, we're going to call it the Gees. So then I picked up the phone, 
Yes, I had a, we had legal phones in there. <laughs> I told y'all I was a hustler. Uh, also, the guys loved me, but I also made sure they had phones so they could talk, talk to their loved ones. <laughs> so um, I called Big G mm. and told him, I said, hey, I got this play. And he, when I told him, I said, man, you know, I want to do the go-go version of Wizard of Oz. And he was like, stop playing. Mm. I said, yeah, he said, Slim, you playing. And he was like, that's one of my favorite joints. How you going to do it? That's good. And from there, I was like, I got him. Mm-hmm. And then from there, we came home. I watched people on my phone. And certain people I watched, I was like, hey, I'm going to contact them as soon as I get out to prison. And that's exactly what I did. As soon as I mm-hmm. came home, I was contacting these people. And they was like, who is you? Mm-hmm. I'm like, you need to know who I am. Mm-hmm. And from there, everything bloomed. I remember having some of those conversations with you as you were enduring that, and yeah. people um, taking you for granted, mm-hmm. and your uh, your ability to lead in yeah. this space because it was a first for you. Yeah. And I remember being equally as impressed with how you navigated that. Mm-hmm. Like you were not afraid to get somebody who knew more yeah. to make sure that the thing went off. And I said mm-hmm. that is leadership. Mm-hmm. That is leadership, the ability to see the need. You don't have to be the smartest person in the room. You no. just got to make sure that you get the smartest people in the room. Exactly. And you did that. You put together a powerhouse team. And I watched as the uh, production grew, your acumen also expanded. Yeah. I could see you wanting to take it further. You was already talking about taking it national and building other productions. He's like, I already got two other scripts already. I see not even finished this one. And you were in the room. You started doing podcasts. You started doing a radio show and all of these things. And I was just so impressed. And then when you came up with Black Broadway, I thought, that's genius. That's genius. So... One of the things in your bio, you talked about the power of second chances. Right. And you coming from the streets to the stage to the screen is is indicative of that. So how did you transition from um, hating reading to writing plays? Well, the difference is between reading and writing. I still, I still don't like to read. With writing plays, I usually come up with a beginning, a title, and then I know the end of the play, mm. and then I just fill it in. It's usually my experiences. Mm. So when I write a play, like something today can inspire me to write into a play. Like I'm sitting here with you, and I got a play called Boogaloo Juke Joint. Well, I just saw you, Monique, and I said I'm going to get probably two more comedian women for the play. I just saw that just now. So I, Boogaloo Juke Joint is about a, a lady that owns a, a, a bootleg mm-hmm. juke joint. Mm-hmm. And uh, the white folks are trying to take it away from her, which they thought the man was controlling it at first, but the women was controlling the, the company. Yeah. And they just needed the man for the protector. And I just saw you and a couple other comedians. I was like, oh, I'm going to get me some lady comedians for this. That's it. Let's do it. Who were your mentors? Who who were your influencers? I mean, I know they changed over time. In the streets, it might have been the, the most notorious. Yeah. And yeah. then as you grew, who influenced you? And and how has that impacted your life, besides your mom? Right. I I have really, I really never had a mentor. I really never had a mentor because I never seen no one do what I done. Hmm. Right. So 
where, where I was raised, the, the women was more stronger in my family than the men. So I didn't really have no one to uh, look at. So what influenced me was just wanting to feed, you know, my building of mm -hmm. kids that was mm -hmm. hungry. Mm -hmm. And uh, liking the money, mm -hmm. liking the money, but I've not really, re not, not really had a mentor. Okay. To this day, I don't, I don't really, it's no one really I look up to because about the time I was 17, I was a millionaire. Mm. So then it was about, it was like, okay, you're doing something right. Everybody can't do this or everybody can't do that. And so, you know, what influences me is just uh, I get a whisper in my head mm. and, um, and things happen. I really don't, I really don't be influenced by much. I, I can say, I can say hate, make, hate makes me thrive. When someone, so when someone, you know, say something I can't do, but father's a mentor, I really ain't really never had a mentor. Okay, so you once said you were blessed by both the devil and God. Yeah. Help me unpack that. Right, and people say that. That's a good question. So I was working for the devil from 1984 mm. to 2016. So I sold, you know, I sold a bunch of drugs, right? But I was successful. Like, I'm the first one to go to jail in my clique. The first, there's a couple guys that died, right? Mm -hmm. But I'm the first one to go to jail. So everything was going good for me in the drug game. I, I can't, like a lot of people say, tell them something about the drug game because you know it ain't right. Well, I can't do that because I really had a great time in the drug game. <laughs> like, like even upon my incarceration, I only did uh, six years off a 25-year bid. And then when I was in prison, my drug ran my hustling skills. I mean, it made everybody happy. We had cell phones. We had steak. We had red lobster. We we really we really was in prison. We had vodka. We had so everything that stop? we wanted. Why did I stop? Uh, because of love, mm -hmm. right? Uh, the whole time I was in prison, I had this thing in my mind. I knew everybody in my family, the guys had backed off of me. And they wasn't helping me, and it was just women helping me. Right? So I knew that happened, but I had this, this, this vision that when I came home, I was going to be celebrated. So I, I come home, I hit the gates, and I'm looking for people. <laughs> and when I get there, there's only two women there. Mm. My wife and my girlfriend. Mm. Right, so there's only two women there, and I'm looking like, okay, they fooling me. So okay, so that's interesting, and we got to stop. Mm -hmm. You have to talk about my wife and my girlfriend. Oh, yeah. That is not a typical scenario, as you know, and that's also one of the things I thought was <laughs> profound when I met you, because I met all of y'all together. I was like, what? Wait, what? Mm -hmm. You got some big love going on here. <laughs> Tell me about it. Yeah. Well, now it's not like that no more. We ain't, we don't have a girlfriend. Uh, but at first, you know, uh, I had a girlfriend Why not? while I was in prison. Huh? Why not? My wife then took over. I'm not the boss no more. I was the boss. So now it's done. She said She's like, no. we don't have no girlfriend. Yes, no more. yeah, yeah. I, I thought it was our girlfriend. Everything was mine, but it's done. <laughs> yeah, she she then took over. It's at a point now that uh, I um, I listen to her more. Mm -hmm. You know, she's been so dedicated in my life and helping me get through obstacles that I'm starting to listen. 
So she say, you know, we ain't got no girlfriend. We ain't got one. That's it. You know, we we hopefully we get one. <laughs> Please, <laughs> but but uh, you know, I'm <laughs> I'm with her now. So she uh, I'm learning that I have to uh, I don't I don't want to lose her. Mm. So you know, That's when she nice. say when she say the ball, she she's the ball. She's the boss. Describe one of the craziest behind the scenes moments that you've experienced since you've been producing. Craziest scene. Okay. I, well, I can say the gigs because I almost got it. I almost went to jail that night. So, my wife, we're not new to production, so we got the VIP passes. Instead of my wife giving everybody a VIP pass, she gave one of the cater dudes like 10 passes. Mm. This dude goes out and give all his, most of his homeboys the passes. And I see all these guys in the back of my stage, and I'm like, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? What are you? What are you? But I saw one particular guy that when I was trying to do the gigs, I was trying to get him to, you know, and his son to help me out with the gigs. Mm-hmm. And uh, he blatantly ignored me the whole time. Never knew the dude before. I, I don't think I had sex with a girl enough. I don't know what the problem was. But he was behind my stage, and I asked him several times to help me ignore my call. So I saw him, and that's who I targeted him. I said, hey. So I went up to him, and me being the old Lavelle, I snatched the badge off his Ooh. thing. And, of course, he's a man, so he came back, and we got in a little tuffle. But somebody broke his apart and said, nah, 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 you just your play, da, da, da. And then I'm so crazy because the security cards came to throw him out. Mm-hmm. And I was like, nah, let him stay in here. Because the only reason I wanted, I say I wanted him out behind stage, but I wanted him to stay there because I wanted to attack him after the show. <laughs> right? So Did he stay? Yeah, he stayed. He was gone after, after it was over with. Thank goodness. Yeah, but uh, that was one of the, my first big play, and yeah. I was very excited. And that's one of the things that I wanted to, to change about myself because I would say, how can you react like that? in one of the biggest times of your life. And that's mm-hmm. when I knew I had some type of behavior problem. So mm-hmm. I was like, that's what I've been working on the last couple of years. Yeah. So what what made you come up with the concept of DC Black Broadway? Okay. Now that was so I was with this guy named Vernon Williams. And and I look I look at everything. What what I don't like is because I've always been part of a team, I've been rich. I've been wealthy rich, not like $1 million. I have money that I couldn't even count. Mm -hmm. Like, my wife and them got upset. I couldn't even pay nobody. I used to pay people like $3,000 a week to count my money. Damn. And and people was quitting. People, people, People was quitting like, I can't do this. So... I was that I became that type of wealthy, but I've never had that type of money by myself. It's always took a team. Mm-hmm. So when I got in theater, everybody that does theater somehow put their first name or their name into their theater like they done done all this by themselves. And I think that's selfish. Mm-hmm. So I went to my guy Vernon at that time and I said, Hey, I don't I don't like the name, you know, we was under Vernon Williams Presents. Right. And I'm like, 
well, we 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 made a contract. If I'm under Vernon Williams Presents, then I need to own half of that name. Yeah. <laughs> so which pod you want to give me? You want to give me the Vernon or you want to give me the Williams? <laughs> and he found that he, you know, of course he was, what are you talking about? I say, well, look here. We gotta come up with a name. I don't want to own a company with my name. And I say, since we're in DC, and I'm a Broadway type of dude anyway, right? We need to call the DC Black Broadway. And they, he was like, nah, nah. I said, just look at You can Google it. You don't see it nowhere. It's a clean name. Mm-hmm. I said, DC Black Broadway will be big. He's like, nah. I said, it will resonate to our people. And then you say DC, then you say black. We from DC. We black. Broadway. What Broadway stand? Broadway means spectacular. You're going to bring out all the people that like to put on clothes. That Broadway feel. And he didn't like it at first. But once we started saying it and the people started gravitating, because it was it was Vernon Williams Presents, but as soon as we put out that DC Black Broadway, they forgot about that Vernon Williams mm-hmm. Presents. Everybody was DC Black Broadway, DC Black mm-hmm. Broadway. Mm-hmm. So uh, just like the name, the feeling of the name. Good, good. I love it. So I want to ask you, and I ask everybody this question, what do you think when you hear the term CEO? CEO. I actually don't like the term. Mm. It's too much pressure on the term. And I think I think if you got a team, everybody's a CEO. Mm-hmm. You know, CEO is just a name to make you feel important. And I think if we if we know who we are already, you don't even have to use the name CEO. I love it. I love it. I don't really I really don't like CEO. I don't I don't like to call myself a CEO. Okay. That was like when I was young, when the rap game got CEO. Nah, we, you, everybody's a CEO. So what qualities do you look for in the, in the people that surround you? How you build your team? What, what does it take to become a member of the Le, Dr. Lavelle Long team? My biggest thing I, that I look for is do you have time and passion, mm. right? I really don't look for money. It's like time. Usually, person gonna spend their time. Then that's one because if you are gonna spend your time in this and you got that passion, that means you are gonna learn. Mm-hmm. That means mm-hmm. even if you don't know, if you spend the time and you are passionate about it, you are gonna be good at what you become. Nice. And mostly, everyone around me, I'm, I don't have. No, they would tell you that if somebody don't have the time for it, we're not gonna be together for long. And that's what happened to me and Vernon. Mm-hmm. I was doing more work than he was doing. And I'm like, okay, you there, you know, you there when when it's all glamorous mm-hmm. shot, but you wasn't there yeah. in the ground. Yeah. So I really look for time. I really if you got time and passion, those are my biggest things, time and passion. Okay. So what is your vision? Where do you see Lavelle, Doctor Long, DC Black Broadway and all of the creative things that you got going moving in the next five years? Well, next five years, I see uh, D.C. Black Broadway, Atlanta Black Broadway, uh, North Carolina Black Broadway, Memphis Black Broadway, Houston Black Broadway, then probably Philadelphia Black Broadway. The biggest thing that I see is I'll be throwing plays simultaneously throughout the whole Mm. weekend. I will pick a couple weekends out of the year, and my plays will be simultaneously. I couldn't even be in each spot. I would send everyone on my team Mm. 
to those spots, and they'll be going simultaneously. And we'll, we, I figured a way how to cut out touring. Hmm. What you do know, you mean? A lot of people, so, you know, like Tyler Perry, Jakarz Johnson, they got a tour. They mm-hmm. take in tour, tour, Correct. tour, tour. And that's, that's like, that's not what I want to do. Like I saw, I'm going to, I'm going to affect every local market that I'm in. Mm. So just where we doing the DC Black Broadway, it'd be 100% DMV. Atlanta again, it'd be 100% Atlanta. Mm. I'm on franchises like McDonald's. Nice. North Carolina, 100% North Carolina, North Carolinians. You know what I'm saying? So in Houston, 100% Houston. Mm. I would be the only difference. I would be on of all of them. But one thing, I well, I, my team would know this now, but... I have already started, everybody's worked with me to give them percentages of mm-hmm. these franchises. Mm-hmm. So everybody that's been working with me and down with me now, they will own a piece of each percentage in these companies. Wonderful. That's genius because you not only build your franchise, you build wealth for other people, mm-hmm. teaching other people mm-hmm. how that's wonderful. Well, that's that's what I do it for. I don't I do not do it for me. I done had all the money in the world. Mm-hmm. Like, that's why I like, I'm a real OG, right? A lot of people say they OGs, but OG is not like a gangster term. Why I say I'm an OG, because I can show you young guys that's been under my tutelage, mm. that's doing very well today. No drug selling. Mm. Like Anwan Big G Glover. Mm-hmm. Actor. I, I raised him. Creative. I raised him. Mm-hmm. I, I have some of the top guys here. You know, I have some, and I don't say raised like he was a kid, mm-hmm. but I taught I him things mm-hmm. to help him in his everyday life. So I have several guys. You got Trey Chaney. Mm-hmm. You know, these is my these my my and, uh, little homies. Both of those people, I think, is important to know, are actively working on uh, series, yeah, yeah. and um, television shows. Mm-hmm. Anwar had The Wire. He now has I can't remember the name of the series, but I'll pull it it's, up. Yeah, it's it's a couple more they uh-huh. doing that. It's, it's, it's Trey a, moved Trey. from DC to, to Atlanta, Atlanta. Mm-hmm. and he's working on a series. I think they're in the third season. Mm-hmm. So I have several guys, and throughout GoGo. Every band that you check in with Go-Go, someone I raised in the bands. Mm. So it's like a lot of guys. They're not, they not even doing I have a guy that lives in South Carolina. His name Mark Hilton. He's a captain of the service. He's in the service. And, you know, like I said again, these guys don't sell drugs. So I was a drug dealer. But I would work with people that didn't have nothing to do with drugs. Mm-hmm. You know, but I could teach them from the experience of me drug dealing it's just like it's just like corporate world, you know what we learn in the streets that they doing it in the corporate corporate world every day. That's why you can see somebody like Jay Z, Fifty Cent. You can see these guys, especially Fifty. Look at Fifty; he was a street guy. Mm-hmm. These mm-hmm. guys are making it like, yeah. and I they the only thing they did was turned on what they learned in the streets and took corporate. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah, Fifty Cent was one of the people who inspired me. I read his last book, and um, I thought conceptually. There were uh, several things that I saw in him and other leaders that impacted, you know, the course or the trajectory of his career and his his ability to be as successful as he is. There are top five, and I have to think about it, but in my mind I would say discipline, Mm -hmm. consistency, Mm -hmm. fitness, not being afraid to fail, Mm -hmm. And fearlessness. Did I say fearlessness already? Uh, yeah, those are the top five. Anyway, I want to ask you. This is new. Good and bad. Top three things that are good for business. 
Top thing was good for business. Contract. Number one. Number one. Life lesson. Get the contract. Listen, I learned that the hard way too. Yeah, contract. That's right. It's good for business. Okay. Personalities. Mm -hmm. Chemistry. Chemistry is really great for business. Mm -hmm. And uh, putting the time in. I say that now because I tell a lot of people that wants to be in this life, like, you cannot let somebody take you away from your dreams. Mm -hmm. And I usually ask women this. And my first question is like, do you got a husband or you got kids that's going to take you away from this? Mm. Because that's, you got to build chemistry with people. You know, that's why I see with you and your team. It's mm -hmm. chemistry. Mm -hmm. You got to build that. Yeah. Right? And in order to build that chemistry, it has to be time. You got to spend time. Like even going out of town together, boom, boom, boom. It has to be time. Totally agree. Yeah. Top three, bad for business. Bad for business, top three. People that want to be you. Oh, good one. People that want to be you. Mm -hmm. You got to recognize that's off the break. You can't have too many chiefs. Mm -hmm. Somebody got to take over and mm -hmm. delegate the situation. Mm -hmm. So you got somebody that wants to do that, that's usually bad for business. Uh, someone that's bad for business. Someone that sticks to a title. Mm. And when I say that, I feel like everybody on the team should be doing at least five things. Yeah. So, like, if I'm working with these guys, I feel like if he say he's CEO, then the CEO should be doing this, 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 this. Mm -hmm. That'll take him out of that, I'm CEO. Mm -hmm. This guy should be doing this, this, this. And when you got somebody that only want to be the CEO, I only want to be an actor, I only want to be this, that's bad for business. Mm -hmm. That means that I got to get five more people to do something you should be doing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick up these couches. I'm going to sweep. I'm going to do everything, even though I'm the CEO. Yeah. So, you know, uh, last but not least, last but not least, Boz. I would say uh, bad for business. Personalities. Talk too much. <laughs> Talk too much. About the wrong stuff. About the wrong things. Tell everything, you know. <laughs> you keep some things in the house yeah. when, you're, when you're part of a team. Now, I say to these young guys over here, what you know inside, you don't take that outside the house. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Well, mama going to get you. You shouldn't, you know what I'm saying? Keep your business inside the house. So we're talking with Dr. Lavelle Long. This has been a wonderful conversation. Right. You know, I admire you to pieces. Right. And that's been since day one. I look forward to um, you changing the world. I do. I, I look forward to being alongside as we change the world. Right. <laughs> because I, I really do love everything about you. And I appreciate and respect who I've learned you to be as a right. man. Right. And I knew you was like my kind of cat when I first met you because you had a wife and a girlfriend. I was like, that is gangster. Listen, I love it. Yeah. So thank you again for agreeing to have this conversation. Thank you for um, just being who you are. Thank you for always including me. Right, and, and and creating opportunities and being such a um, pioneer and, and advocate for women. Yeah. in business. Yeah. And I really do admire and appreciate those things about you. Last question. Mm. I love that your wife is now running things. Right. Right. <laughs> Cuz she's definitely a boss yeah. and I would ask how have you 
brought your children into what you do? Because I saw that they had a very significant role when we when we rolled out the gigs. Yeah. How so, has that expanded? That that has not expanded. My kids are, I teach my kids to be who they are. Mm-hmm. So I don't want nobody to live, you know, in my truth. So it's kind of it's kind of heavy on them to follow behind what I'm doing because mm-hmm. they see me growing and growing and growing. So I have to build their confidence back up to say, hey, you guys can do this. But my daughter is doing great in Atlanta, but my, my son and them, it's this thing, marijuana. It's just, I've never <laughs> smoked marijuana, so I don't know where they got it from. But uh, And I think through the time where I got incarcerated, that mm-hmm. would hurt my family because mm-hmm. never, I've never been a smoker. But right now, they're, they're, they're in their thing of smoking marijuana. And so. it irritates irritates me. So they try to stay away from me. Mm. And then you know, I think by them smoking marijuana, my two boys, by them smoking marijuana, what happens is it makes you lazy. Mm-hmm. So they know when they around me, they're going to have to be get up and they're going to have to be running. They're going to be moving. They're going to be moving. They're going to be moving. And they just can't hang with me right now. But my daughter is, she's, she's, she on an old R&B, R&B, and... She has, uh, she says, sales hair. She's only 19 years old. So she's really taken behind me as far as that hustling mentality. Yeah. But them two boys right now, I'm going to have to work with them. I once heard a guy say uh, about smoking marijuana, I remember asking him, he was a drinker, and I remember asking him if he smoked weed. And he said he never could get into marijuana because it robbed him of his ambition. Mm-hmm. I thought that that was the most profound way to describe the effects of marijuana mm-hmm. and how they impact your ability to keep moving. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, thank they, you so they, much. They, they, yes, marijuana, that's a whole other subject. I mean, it's, it's... I have a whole story about marijuana. It's good for business right now, though. Yeah, I well, you know, I used to <laughs> sell cocaine. I know. So every Friday, every Friday, I would buy like a pound of weed and d- distribute it to all my guys. So wow. they'll get high, right? I give it to them for free. They thought I was a great guy. I just give it to them. They be so high, I got the whole block to myself on Friday. <laughs> I made all the money, and I did it every Friday. I gave it to them every Friday. They like, man, y'all want to eat? They were like, bro, you want the weed? Well, here you go. Give them, they get fired down. up, they get down. They Clear the block. They be gone. And I make all, I bring my guy. Genius. Yeah. All the Friday money. All the Friday money. And I did it for a long time. My brother, I just told my brother probably like 10 years ago, I said, you know what, I just get y'all. He's like, bro, you too much. I'm like, yeah. That's how I know what marijuana does to you. Amazing. So I'm having this conversation with Dr. Lavelle Long, and I just want to say once again that I appreciate you agreeing to have this conversation with me. I would like for us to have many more. And thank you again for helping me crack the CEO code. Thank you for joining Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Cracking the CEO Code with Nikki Moore. For more information, visit justdigital.solutions or dcradio.gov slash programming slash cracking the CEO code.